Well, this morning of all mornings, we celebrate Jesus risen from the dead. Just think about it. We, we celebrate a man, a, a God-man to be technical, uh, but, a, but a man of flesh and blood, a, alive more than any of us ever have been. A man who walked among us and he talked to us. He, he breathed out air. He was a man who died. He, he really died. No heartbeat. No blood flowing. No reflex response. Cold and stiff. And this morning we celebrate that Jesus, this very one, is one who, who rose from the dead. And, and somehow when he was, he was in that tomb, his, his chest began to rise up and down. And somehow the, those organs that were shut down be, began to be restarted. And, and somehow that heart, which had been cold and lifeless, began to pump and began to lub-dub, lub-dub, lub-dub. Loved up, and that blood that was in the arteries and the veins and in all the capillaries began to flow once again. And his brain, somehow, which was deprived of oxygen for days, began firing off its neurons and its, and its muscles began feeling that. And, and rigor mortis that had set in began to loosen its grip and the muscles began to twitch. And eventually, Jesus was alive and, and he sat up. And probably he folded his grave clothes. Take note, children. He folded his grave clothes and walked out of the tomb. And for the next few weeks, Jesus appeared alive and well to his disciples, beginning with the women who came to the tomb, like we read today in Luke 24, followed by the, the close disciples, the ten, and then to Thomas, and, and then later even to 500 at one time. The resurrection of Jesus was real. In other words, right? He didn't raise up with some immaterial, non-material spirit sort of body. He didn't raise merely in the minds of the disciples, as many liberal theologians would believe today. No, when Jesus raised from the dead, it was his body that was raised. His flesh. You could touch his flesh. He still had wounds of the crucifixion. Holes in his hands, holes in his feet, a hole in his side. In fact, Tom, Jesus even invited Thomas. See his wounds. Touch his hands. Touch his side. Jesus drank and ate with his disciples. Right, His stomach was working. His body organs were, were working. He spoke with his disciples. I mean, his mouth and his tongue, his diaphragm was pushing air through his, his mouth. That would all work. The resurrection was real. And by the way, this is the very fact that sets Christianity apart from all other religions of the world. All religions of the world begin with principles. They begin with thoughts. They begin with ideas. And, and then from these ideas, then it forms and, and, and transitions into reality and maybe some practicality. Whether it's Buddhism and you, you just think of these principles. Right or, or some other sorts of religion, just these ideas, and it goes to reality. But Christianity is, is far different. Christianity begins with historical space-time reality. It begins with a man rising from the dead. And only then, after this man rose from the dead, does it proceed to these principles. Yes, it verifies the Scriptures are true. It verifies everything he said was true. And it teaches us then how it is that we ought to live 
Now, if raising someone from the dead seems incredibly difficult, it is. Um, in fact, I think about it as a, a human race. We've, we've done some great things as a human race. We have built some large, impressive buildings. We built some large cities and developed the whole infrastructure to sustain those cities. We as human beings have, have built rockets to take us off the planet. We've, we've sent rovers to Mars. We've put telescopes in space to see other galaxies billions of light years away. On the smaller level, we've built uh, particle colliders. Actually, it's kind of big, but they, they come and they collide. Right? Protons, electrons going the other way and they smash and they create this energy and they create particles that we normally don't observe. We've seen those particles. We've been able to place billions of transistors on a computer chip the size of a fingernail. We put supercomputers in our pockets. We develop communications infrastructure that allows anyone on the planet to go anywhere <clears throat> and broadcast their image and voice to anyone or everyone in the world. I think that's impressive we've done as a human race. Those things are all difficult to do, but we've done them. But there's one thing that we haven't been able to do. We've not been able to create life. Now, we know much about biology. We know much about DNA, and we have all the carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, and oxygen that we need, the building blocks to make up life. <clears throat> but we've been never been able to create in the laboratory life from scratch. All these things we think we can do, we haven't been able to do that. That's something only God can do. It's something that He does and so shows His power. We see the beginning of, of the Bible in Genesis when God speaks and the plants come to life. And the fish and the birds and the beasts of the land begin to move about and Adam and Eve are created to take dominion over the earth. And this creation continues to this day. But there's one way in which God has given life that especially shows His power. It's in the resurrection of Jesus. And this morning as we open our Bibles to hear from the Lord, I want, I want for us to hear what God says about the resurrection from the first two chapters of Ephesians. So if you haven't done so already, I really invite you to open your Bibles or turn your Bibles on. <clears throat> I think opening them is better, but you can turn them on. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're going to be looking at the first two chapters of Ephesians. We're not going to be looking at everything. We're going to focus our attention upon the resurrection. But the mention of the resurrection is kind of buried deep within Paul's logic of these chapters that we're going to just kind of zoom through quickly until we get to those particular points. The book of Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul uh, to faithful saints, uh, some of whom were in, in Ephesus, uh, may have been even to a broader scope of churches. This uh, letter was written. But it was written, and he begins in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Christ Jesus has given immeasurable benefits to those who've trusted in Him. In fact, in Jesus Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. As verse 3 says, and, and throughout the next paragraph, verse 4 to 14, Paul just lists these blessings. And, and they, come, they come like waves of an ocean that just come crashing down upon us. And before the last ocean wave is, is back and recede, another wave comes crashing in and crashing in and crashing in on these great blessings that God has given to us. Verse 4, first of all, He chose us in Him 
before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. There's the blessing of security that our salvation is in God's hands from before time began. Verse 5 says, in love, he predestined us to adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. We've been adopted into God's family. This is the greatest blessing of the gospel that, that God has brought us into his household by his own purpose and his design. God designed to bring us into his house to be his children. And that all leads us to praise. Verse 6 says, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Indeed, this first paragraph here, it's really one sentence in the Greek. It's just this long paragraph of praise. It's just, a, it's just this crescendo of all these things that God has done for us. It continues in verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. What a blessing to know. Sins forgiven, wiped away through the blood of Jesus. And the cleansing of our sins is complete. Verse 8 says that He lavished this upon us. And that is, we didn't just dip into the blessings of forgiveness. No, we're covered and smothered in forgiveness. We are lavished in forgiveness. And the blessings continue in the second half of verse 8. It's a blessing of knowing God's plan for us. Verse 8, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will. According to his purpose, was he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You read in chapter three about what this mystery is, that Jesus Christ has come and reconciled both Jews and Gentiles to the Lord together to bring all things together in him. And he's made that known. That's a blessing to us that we know the, the plan of God, the gospel of God. This blessing continues in verse 11. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. That is the incredible blessings that God will give to His children. And, and we as His child, as we as His children, get the blessings of God. He describes just an inheritance. Something that's just given to us because we are a child, not because we've earned it or merited it. It's our inheritance. And, and it's as secure as can be. Verse 11 continues, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. It's God's plan and it's God's purpose for us who believe. And this again leads to praise, verse 10, verse 12 rather. So we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. This is a paragraph of praise. Blessings continue in verse 13. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Lord, we believe in the gospel, and we believe in Jesus. God seals us. With His Spirit, that is, He sort of wraps us around and, and protects us and, and coats us, if you will, like with bubble wrap, protecting to make sure that that which is shipped is not harmed. And God is protecting us along the way that we might not be harmed, keep us complete until we obtain that redemption. As, as uh, um, Ryan read for us, First Peter 1, we are protected by the power of God, sealed in the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. And verse 14 even speaks about this Holy Spirit being the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. We were just guaranteed promises. This is, this is salvation from beginning to end. It's God who cho- chose us. He calls us. He predestines us. He redeems us. He forgives us. He wraps us. 
so that we can have this inheritance. Indeed, it is to the praise of His glory. As verse 14 ends. And these, by the way, are only some of the spiritual blessings that God has given to us. But these are blessings that Paul mentions here in Ephesians. There's no way, really, of of going through them so quickly in in just a few minutes, grasping all of the implications of the blessings of God in the life of a believer. I, I commend those verses to you for your own memorization, meditation, and reflection. But we need to get to the resurrection today. I mean, almost every single one of those blessings could be a sermon in and of itself. But, but look at verse 15. It says, for this reason, that is in light of these abundant spiritual blessings that have been given to us in Jesus Christ. Paul says this, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. This is Paul's unceasing prayer for those in Ephesus. Is that they would understand the blessings of God and embrace them and understand and comprehend right, all that comes to us who believe. Like verse 17 again, here's the core, right? The God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him that you might really understand these sorts of things. His prayer continues in verse 18 with, with three things. He says, having the heart, eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know, one, what is the hope to which He has called you and what are, two, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints And number three, not verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? These three things which Paul is praying that that those in Ephesus might really embrace and understand. First is the hope that we have in Jesus, right? The incredible blessings that we have of of adoption and, and redemption and forgiveness and security in God's plan. The Holy Spirit is protecting us until that day. The hope that we all have in Jesus. But also here it speaks about the riches. That we might know the riches of our inheritance. I mean, it's one thing to, to inherit a, a wealthy estate from a wealthy father. But it's another thing entirely to, to inherit the estate of God. Whose riches are far beyond compare. The cattle on a thousand hills are all His. The earth is mine, is what the Lord says. The riches, we the hope, the riches, and finally, as we're getting to my message this morning, Paul prays that those in Ephesus would understand and would know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. It is from this verse I get the title of my message this morning, do you know the immeasurable power of God? Now, in some regards, it's immeasurable, right? You can't, you can't measure it, you can't know it. It is like the love of God, which Paul says in Ephesians 3, the the love of God, which is unknowable. He wants us to know. And here it is, the immeasurable power of God. But Paul is praying for those in Ephesus to know it. And Paul says this, it's shown in Jesus, risen from the dead. That's why it's appropriate for us to look at this this resurrection morning. In the next few verses, Paul's going to speak about the resurrection and the resurrection power. Uh, Again, verse 19. The eyes of your heart, may they be enlightened that you might know, verse 19, What is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ 
when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is my first point this morning. Is this is that the immeasurable power of God is demonstrated that He raised Jesus up in, in verse twenty. Even you can see it right there, right? That He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him as a right hand in the heavenly places. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a demonstration of the power of God that He could take a dead corpse and bring it to life. And that's what we celebrate this Resurrection Sunday morning, that that though Jesus was nailed to a cross and experienced life-ending injuries, he was laid in a tomb, God was able to raise him from the dead and so demonstrating his power. Do you know the immeasurable power of God? You know, quite frankly, this is why many people don't believe in Jesus because they just don't believe in the power of God. They, they don't believe that God is able to raise a corpse from the dead. Many people in the health realm, whether mortuary realm, see what happens when people die. And when people die, uh, it's not pretty. Fluids come out, cold and blue, and they've never seen anyone rise from the dead. And in many regards, that's, that's the point. People don't just rise from the dead every day. But Jesus did. But, but people think that, well, people don't rise from the dead. They, they even say this, is it even possible? In fact, all of us ask that. Is it even possible for one to rise from the dead? Listen, with God, nothing is impossible. I remember this, this day when the, the Sadducees came to Jesus. And, of course, they didn't believe in the resurrection. And they, they tried to trap Jesus in this confangled story about a a woman who had a husband who died. And according to Levitical law, she was, and then her, his brother was to take him, take her to be his wife. And so that happened, but then he died. And then the next one died. And, and then the next one died. And then the next one died. And I always think you ought to look at her cooking, right, to figure out why they're all passing away. But anyway, seven of them died. <clears throat> then they came to Jesus trying to ask him this obscure question, when of course the resurrection can't be true, right? In the resurrection, resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. And before Jesus answered the question, basically there's no marriage in heaven, Jesus went to the core of the issue. He said this to these Sadducees, you are wrong because you you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. They didn't understand the Scriptures prophesied of the the resurrection, but they didn't understand the power of God. They thought the resurrection was absurd because people don't rise from the dead. To that I say that's true, but Jesus did rise from the dead. The resurrection is a demonstration of the powers of God, of the power of God. The Sadducees didn't believe it. They didn't believe the power of God. But do you? Do you believe? Do you know the immeasurable power of God? The resurrection that we celebrate here today? There are many who don't. Uh, Near the end of the book of Acts, we will read, as we're going through the book of Acts at Rock Valley Bible Church, we're going to read about Paul standing trial before Agrippa. 
And um, one of the things that, that Paul asked Agrippa and those listening to him, giving his testimony about why it is even he is in Caesarea and why it is what's being accused about him, he, he said this, he said, Acts 26, verse 8, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? And really, that's the question that we all ought to ask ourselves, right? Why, anyone ought to ask, well, well, people don't rise from the dead, I don't believe. Well, why, why do you think it's incredible that, that God raises people from the dead? Why, why do you think that that's so powerful and so big and so vast that, that God couldn't do it? Yet there are many people who don't believe it. I mean, think about it, right? If God can create the world by speaking it into existence... Is it too difficult for him to take one corpse and to raise it from the dead? Look again at Ephesians 1 verse 20. says this power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. See, when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't just limp along with a, a lame body that was somewhat functional, but not, not really good. No, when Jesus was raised from the dead... He was seated at the most prominent place in the universe, at the right hand of God. It's really the completion of the the resurrection account that Jesus rose from the dead over a period of days, right? Remember, he appeared 40 days to the disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, and, and then Jesus ascended into heaven lifted up from earth in the presence of the disciples and in fact that they they were like looking up where where's jesus and it had to be the angels who said hey like jesus has gone into heaven and, and he'll come back someday and when he went into heaven he was taken into glory and as paul said in philippians 2 he was highly exalted and god bestowed on him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we don't bow to sort of a, a half-raised, partial-raised, kind of limpy sort of Jesus. No, the, the picture of Revelation is a lion. He is strong and well, being raised to fullness of health. And, and being, the fact that he's seated at the right hand of God is part of the Apostles' Creed. The third day he rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. This is the gospel story, right? The the life of Jesus lived was perfect. He died a death for our sins. He was buried, put in the tomb. He was raised from the dead. Then he ascended into heaven, and now he's exalted at the right hand of God. It's a gospel. It's good news. It's what we ought to believe and embrace that we have this all-powerful Jesus who will come back and judge someday. And this is all prophesied. Psalm 110 verse 1 says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It's where Jesus is right now. He's at the right hand of God praying for us. Just waiting for the time when he writes all wrongs upon the earth. And we've seen some wrongs upon the earth with this war in Ukraine. Some horrible things. But Jesus will make it all right someday is our hope. But that's where he just sits right now. He sits waiting to rule the world. Right now he's ruling over his church. Someday he'll rule over the world. But he's seated as Ephesians 1 verse 21 says, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And that is the immeasurable power of God that brought him there. Do you know the immeasurable power of God that has done this with Jesus? we celebrate this Easter morning? 
But now let me stretch you a bit. Because all that's pretty standard, and we, we hear that before, we've seen that in our exposition of Acts. Listen, but not only has God raised Jesus from the dead, seated him at the right hand of God, he's done the same for us. My first point this morning is that, that God raised Jesus up. My second point is that he raised us up. Ephesians 2, verse 6. Right? But we need to get there, right? We need to work our way through Ephesians chapter 2. It's a, it's a familiar passage to many of us. It speaks of the gospel, how we're dead in our sins, but God, by his grace, makes us alive, and, and he prepares good works that we should then walk in them. Ephesians 2.10. But we often miss the, the very first word of chapter 2. What's, what's the first word of chapter 2? Do you see it there? It is the word and. And and is a conjunction, junction, what? Right? It, it, conjun- it joins us. This is really a continuation of the prayer of the Apostle Paul. He's praying, verse 17, chapter 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation the knowledge of Him, that you, the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, that, that you might know just what is the hope of your calling, the riches of your inheritance, and, and the power of God, which He raised Jesus up, and now He's going to say the power of God that raised us up as well. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And showing His power in you and us. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's not work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we also lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See, Paul points a dark picture of all of us before Jesus came into our our lives. We're blinded by our sins. We're dead in our sins, in fact. We're deaf to to hearing the call of God in our lives. We're unresponsive to the things of God. Then God breaks through. He comes in in our death. He says, but God, being rich in mercy, verse 4, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with Him. And seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, we are familiar with Ephesians 2. We're familiar with this passage. Uh, Focus a lot of our attention upon verses 4 and 5. Which talk about the way that God has transformed us by, by His grace. That we're dead and unresponsive to the ways of God. But, but God breaks in. And awakens us to the spiritual reality. That, that God exists. That God indeed created the world. That He owns the world. And that we as sinners fall short of the glory of God. And we'll be judged for our sin. And we need a Savior. And God has brought Jesus to be that Savior. Dying upon the cross for our sins. And we simply believe In Him, we can have redemption, forgiveness, inheritance, all the blessings that come in Ephesians chapter 1. And God, by His grace, has saved us who believe from our sins. And it's great and wonderful, but often we skip over verse 6 or we pay a little bit of attention to verse 6. Just like we miss the and, we miss the verse 6. And I'm trying to preach verse 6 to us this morning. That God raised us up and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I I want for you to notice the tense of these verbs. What's the tense of these verbs? 
They're past tense. Right? This isn't a future thing. He's not, he's not saying that, that God will raise us up with him and that God will seat us with him in the heavenly places. Verse 2 is past tense. God raised us up and God seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, is that strange? It, it should be strange. If it's not strange, you're not understanding what I'm saying here this morning. What, what I'm saying is that, is that we, like, joined with Jesus, right? Right now, everyone who believes in Jesus has, has been raised from the dead and seated right now with Jesus in the heavenly places. It's all of us who believe. Seated with Jesus. That's strange, right? But either we can just take verse 6 out of our Bible or we can say verse 6 is here and we don't understand it. And I'm not, I don't fully understand how it works here, but we don't, we can either say that or just say, you know what, there's a sense. We're raised up. Now, obviously, it doesn't mean that our our bodies are with the resurrected body of Jesus because our our bodies are are right here upon the earth, right? If any of you need proof of that, just take your fingers and pinch yourself. You're like, oh, all right, yes, we still have a body. It's not that, not that we're spiritual beings because our body's up there. We're just in imaginary, you know, whatever, drifting land here. No, no, no. We are, we are here real in our earthly bodies. But don't fall into the trap that denies verse 6. It says just here's where we are and this is the only place we are. Because verse 6 tells us we've joined in the resurrection with Jesus and we're seated with him in the heavenly places. So you say, what does this mean? Well, it, it, it describes this mystical spiritual union that we have with Jesus. And I say mystical, meaning that it's just difficult to understand. It's shrouded in mystery. God's got it all figured out, but we don't know. But there is this this union that we have with Jesus. In fact, I'm not sure you noticed the number of times in Ephesians chapter 1 that Paul wrote that we're in Christ. That begins to give us a, a hint of what's going on. In fact, look back there, Ephesians Chapter 1, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us, what? In Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In other words, right, there's this connection that that we are in, here's Jesus, and we are in Christ. We are are with Him. See, it's not simply because of Christ. It's not really because of what He did. No, no, no. It's in Jesus we experience these blessings. And verse 4, even as God the Father chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. There's there's this union with Jesus. Or or verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood. This this joining with Him, that Jesus was was sinless and He died for us, and so we're we're part of Him. Ephesians 1 verse 11, in Him we have obtained an inheritance. See, our inheritance is, is wrapped up in Jesus. There's this connection, this union. Ephesians 1.13, right? In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Somehow, believers in Jesus, our lives are, are intertwined with Jesus. Like, and so much so that like Jesus is, is here and we are like in Him, experiencing what He experienced for us. I mean, I just think in a similar way. I mean, that, that's what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 is talking about. Paul's talking about a reality. So united are we with Jesus that really when he died, we died. And when he was made alive, we were made alive. 
And when he was risen, we were risen. And when he see the right hand of God, we are seated as well. Now, it's interesting, it doesn't say the right hand of God. We're just seated with him. Jesus is at the right hand of God, and we're like, we're like with him. All right? So it's not like we're, we're joining in the Trinity there, but we're like right there with him. You know, Paul says something similar in Colossians. He takes the same, I mean, and Ephesians and Colossians were written at the same time. James, Paul was in jail at the same time, written much of the same themes. Colossians chapter 2, listen to it. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. The, the same thing, right? We were dead, God made us alive, our trespasses are forgiven. How? Colossians 2.14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against it, us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The record of our debts and our sins nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago, the cross of Christ. Because in some regard, right, when, when he died, we died. We were with him. Our sins are nailed to the cross when he was nailed to the cross. Now, I don't I'm not professing to understand this. I just know the Bible speaks of this union with us and Jesus, this, this close connection that it's almost as if we experience the same things. I want to read for you the first 11 verses from Romans 6 because these same themes come up again. It's what, what Paul said. He said, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? See, like, right, we've died. How can we live in it? It says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? And we were buried with him, therefore, in baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That we, we died with Christ. And so also, like, we, we can live with Christ. So, Romans 6, 5 and following. Listen to the connection. For if we have been united with him in a death like his... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set freed from sin. It's almost like he's picturing us having died on the cross right there with Jesus, right? That's our our nature. We're we're like there and our our old self has died. It's right there on the cross. Verse 8 if we've died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And then comes the application. So then, you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's a mindset. That's how we ought to consider ourselves. We ought to consider ourselves. Maybe you know that's one solution trying to understand this, that, that we have died with Christ metaphorically and we are, are living with Christ metaphorically, sort of as a, as a symbol, sort of. But, but listen, it's, it's not just mere metaphor. Uh, it, it goes deeper than that. You, you cannot just simply say this is just a, a picture of where things are. There, there's some real reality here. Is, is that our old self has died on the cross. And our new self, we can live and walk in newness of life. We should consider ourselves dead to sin, to life, to God. Well, I want to wrap things up by, by just getting this practical aspect. Go over to uh, Colossians chapter 3. Uh, again, this is written much at the same time as uh, Ephesians were, and the, the same sorts of things here. And, and here's really where 
knowing the power, the immeasurable power of God might have an impact then upon our lives. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, right? it's, it's assuming, right, you, you have been raised, or you could translate it, someone says, since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. In other words, what he's saying is, since you've been raised with Christ, you're up there with him, right? Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seek where you are. Because you're seated right up there. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Set your minds on the resurrected Jesus. Set your mind on the heavenly places. Because that's where you are. And that's what he describes here. For you, verse 3, have died. And your life, and maybe this is a picture I've been looking for, right? Your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's this union that we are with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now all this union with Christ and being raised with Christ and seated with Christ demonstrates God's power. And it doesn't doesn't negate the fact that He will come again, He will raise us, we will get spiritual bodies at the second resurrection. But the point is this, is that that God who who raised us will be, um, he, He has raised us with Christ. And then we're to seek those things that are above, right? We're to set our minds on the things that are above. We're to walk, consider ourselves dead to the things of the world, but alive to the power of God. Do you know the immeasurable power of God that that raised Jesus up? And, And secondly, it raised us up. The same power that works in Jesus also works in us who believe. And so I just exhort you this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus, realize that that we're connected with Christ and that we've been raised from the dead, that we can shed our sin all by the the power of God. If if you're not in Jesus this morning, like all these realities I'm talking about may sound strange and they are strange. But the call of God is to repent and believe and trust in Jesus. You might know the power, the immeasurable power of God. So let's, let's pray. Oh, Father, I have tried to describe this mystical union that that we have as believers in jesus that we are are dead to sin and yet alive and we are are raised up and seated us with christ i pray for the understanding of verse six in in our lives god that we would know the immeasurable power of, of of god the resurrection that it might make an impact on how we live as paul said in philippians chapter 3 verse 10 that i may know him and the power of His resurrection. Father, I, I pray this morning as Paul prayed to those in, in Ephes- for those in Ephesus that, that their eyes might be open, the eyes of their heart to know what is the immeasurable greatness of the power of God in Christ towards those who believe. God, that You would show us forth the power and that we would experience that resurrection power in our lives. We seek to turn from sin. We seek to turn to righteousness. We seek to walk in obedience to the truth in in every way. That that Your Word is is on our hearts and Your Word then is in our homes because it's on our mouths. God, so change us even this Easter morning. Change us this morning. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.